This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Do you like sci-fi, fantasy, action, adventure, and comic books? Then you've come to the right place for your weekly dose of anything and everything geek. So strap in and let's get this show on the road. Welcome to the Science Fictionary Podcast. Welcome back, sci-fi fans, to another episode of the Science Fictionary Podcast. I'm Andrew. I'm here tonight with David. Hello. And Marisha. How's it going? And we are kicking off April, our Tolkien month. Yay. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Like, this is probably going to be the, the lowest energy of the of the lot and the, the least in-depth because we just kind of wanted to take tonight and talk a little bit about why we like Tolkien, why we felt like we spent a whole month just talking about Tolkien. And... We've got a lot of good guests coming up over the next few weeks and trivia coming up and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, but just kind of jumping right in tonight, we just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about why we love Tolkien. I mean, I think it became clear that we needed to just spend a significant amount of time talking about Tolkien whenever, you know, we've done this pillar series, right? Mm -hmm. So... We had Lord of the Rings on our fantasy list. We had Lord of the Rings on our adventure list, on the movie list, and in the books list. And both of those categories, it's like every time there's something that isn't just straight up sci-fi that we've talked about, Lord of the Rings is always like one of the first things that, that comes up. Yeah. You, you know, straight, straight up fantasy. Straight up fantasy. Yeah. And, and. You know, you said straight up sci-fi, so that's one. No, no, I said if it's not, if we're not talking straight up sci-fi. Oh, oh. Sorry. The the only list that it wasn't on was the sci-fi list, right? Yeah, yeah. And if we're talking sci-fi, I'm sure we could find some sort of way to uh, bring oh, up Tolkien. You can't talk about the fantasy genre without Tolkien being at the center of the conversation. No, there is no modern fantasy without Tolkien. No, I mean the the pillars of fantasy list his, he is the culmination of every of all of the proto fantasy stuff out there the fairy tales and the the legends and myths his writing is the culmination of all of that and 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 we, like we said when we talked pillars everything he took everything before that came before and perfected it and everything that's come since gets compared to it mhm yeah. The thing about Tolkien, the thing, as if there's one thing, one of the many things about Tolkien that I love talking about is not just his impact, but how good he actually was. I think that we talk about his impact all the time and we say, oh, he was so influential. He did all these things and he created all this stuff. But like what doesn't get focused on enough, I think, is just very specifically the way that he tells stories mm -hmm. is so beautiful and wonderful. And a lot of people have problem with his wordy dialogue and his wordy, um, just wordy word his wordy writing, like, you know, spending a chapter describing the shape of bark on a tree and stuff like that. Like <laughs> I get it. Filling the book with just full songs, like entire songs in the cultures, mm -hmm. um, that these characters sing, but personally, I think that that's great writing. That's, I love the way that he uses words to weave a story. I think it's incredible. Not just the stuff that he created, but the way that he told you about what he created. Does yeah. that make sense? Like you can come up with a really cool idea, and that's one thing. But when you come up with a really cool idea, and then you're able to present it to people the way that he did. That's a whole other thing. Um, of course, like most people, my first introduction to Tolkien was through the movies, the Lord of the Ring movies mm -hmm. and the Hobbit movies, but originally the Lord of the Ring movies. And I have now um, only 
well, I, I can't even say read. I've listened to an audiobook of Fellowship of the Ring, and I am, uh, I've started listening to an audiobook of The Silmarillion, and then I'd like to, uh, hopefully by the end of this month, also listen to uh, Two Towers and Return of the King. And I'd also like to start reading Fellowship, or maybe The Hobbit. I have to pick one of them. Uh, there's just so much Tolkien and so many ways to consume it. Mm-hmm. Um, those audiobooks are phenomenal, though. Completely changed my life and like the way that I perceive filmmaking and the way that I perceive like so many things in life. The way that I think about love and friendship and camaraderie mm-hmm. and good versus evil. The way that I think about all of those things entirely relies upon the Lord of the Rings lord of the rings movies yep and i think that that's probably an impact he's had on a lot of people and it's not just because of well look at how much stuff he created it's look at this beautiful story that he told in this incredible world he came up with i think it's one of the most important stories ever told i think it's one of the best stories ever told this tale that can't be broken down to like a simple sentence of frodo has to carry the ring to uh mordor but but it's like a simple little story that starts there and throughout the whole way it never breaks that idea of just a simple story about a a a boy and his friend going on this epic journey of course it's much sprawls from there there's a lot that that comes from that and, and all the other characters and stuff that's going on. But I love the way that it's a simple story and a super complex story at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a sort sense. of simple story in a really complex world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when you start looking at like, the other characters and what they're doing, um, of course it becomes more complex uh, to quote uh, Jimmy Wu. When I say that it is, a boy going to Mordor. It's an over oversimplification of events. Right. But yes, um, yeah. I'm oversimplifying it. It gets more complex and complicated and it gets more in depth, but you can just look at it as this wonderful little story, or you can look at it as this sprawling Epic. Uh, either one works very well. I think, um, I just, I'm, I'm sort of rambling here. No, no, it's, it's fine. But I just love Tolkien so much, and I love the story. I love those movies. Um, obviously, like Tolkien himself didn't pick up the camera and make those movies, but because of his writing and his works, those mm-hmm. movies exist. And in my opinion, they're the best movies ever made. Right. Well, and you had a man that respected the book so much when he made that movie. Mm-hmm. He literally sat in his chair with a copy of the book in his hand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They were constantly going back to the book and making sure they had it right. Yep, and you can tell he has such a a love. It's his love for the world is just so evident. Um, and you know some filmmakers are masterful at creating worlds, like George Lucas. I mean, nobody can make a world like George Lucas, but. I don't know that anyone has ever translated an existing world as beautifully as um, as Peter Jackson did in Lord of the Rings. Right. No, I, I agree with that. And then the world that, that Tolkien created is this, it's this really, there's so much lore, there's so much history, mm-hmm. it, it feels like this place you could go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People teach college classes on the history of Middle Earth. Yeah, you can go take a you can go take a full semester class on on all sorts of things Tolkien. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, when it comes to filmmaking or writing or like history, uh, there class in college there were literally classes like that. Yeah, uh, like that I could have signed up for. Um, and it, it's amazing to learn about. It's amazing that you can take something like the Silmarillion excuse me, and actually like read it like it's a real history book. Mm-hmm. I love that way of thinking. I wish more writers thought that way. Mm-hmm. I think the closest equivalent 
is probably George R. R. Martin, but that's a comparison that gets drawn. Closest equivalent modern day is George R. R. Martin, but that's a comparison that gets drawn all the time. Um, George himself has said that he's like heavily inspired by Tolkien, that 100% his biggest inspiration, and that's noticeable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just love reading about worlds as if they are real. Mm-hmm. I love reading about the history. I think that that's really cool. That's the stuff I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love this like sprawling epic of a world that, when you look at it as a whole, is epic. Yes, but like I said before, you can break it down into these like simple stories mm-hmm. yeah. uh, of friendship, friendship and, and love and tragedy yeah. and and all these things. And um, I mean, the the books that his son completed after his death from his writing is still, I mean, they were still, even up till uh, Christopher's death last year, they were still working on completing stories. Mm-hmm. And there's probably so much about this world that we're never going to know about that was in Tolkien's head. Mm-hmm. You know I don't know. He, he, he wrote a lot of stuff. And that was in there and that we are just, that he never had a chance to write down, but I yeah. still believe we're like just like solidly in his brain mm-hmm. right. that we're just never going to learn about, and and that's that's real sad. But I am happy that uh, Christopher was able to take all those notes and make so much so much new content out of it to just mm-hmm. to keep filling the world. Um, I don't think that we like need anything else. I don't know if he. Um, if Christopher had any children that might like take up the mantle or anything like that. Um, I think there was I, one of his nephews is actually kind of the next in line with the next literary executor. So, interesting. Um, it'll be interesting to see if anybody's really continuing. And one of the things we're going to talk about, you know, kind of the future of Tolkien right now is this Amazon series. And mm-hmm. there's a lot, oh, of, yeah. there's a lot of questions about that. And, one of our episodes this month, we will get very in-depth with everything that we know about that show. They keep being like, ooh, new synopsis. And it's like, wordy, wordy word, Tolkien-sounding <laughs> Tolkien word, big flowery words about the beautiful, beautiful world. <laughs> it's like, you didn't tell us Jack. Right. I mean, they basically give you this long, long description all to say, yeah, we're making a Tolkien movie or a Tolkien show. Yeah. It's like, it's like, okay, it's like you just described Middle Earth. Like, mm-hmm. tell me something about the show. <laughs> but, yeah. um, you know, and that's the thing is a lot of people, you can go, you can go down this rabbit hole with Tolkien for a really long time. Like you said, you can take university classes on it. There are a lot of people are just fans of the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are people who are, I, I, I read The Hobbit when I was nine years old. I've been hooked ever since. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I read The Silmarillion when I was like 12. And uh, I did want to ask, I, you said you're, you started The Silmarillion. What, what, what are you thinking about it so far? It is not an easy listen because like i said it's, it's not an audiobook. it's a history book it's a history book now i enjoy history books i've gone through them I, I i did the same thing um with george R. R. martin's history book about uh game of thrones so this is something that i am interested in and that i do like hearing about i've had to rewind a lot yeah and just listen to I it re- again and again when i was reading the last time i reread it i reread a lot yeah, uh, I, I might. I'm probably going to end up just like saying forget it, and then bot going and buying the book because if I want to really understand it, and I want to really understand it and like digest it and and um, think about it, and I'm probably going to have to buy the book and read it and listen to it, like do both, yeah. just to really get it all. Because um, I do want to know about it. I want to know about the world. I want to know about the history. Uh, tell me all some people hate this and, and I, I totally understand if you don't give a single crap about this I think that is 100% fair if you do not care at all about this but I want to hear all about 
the father of the father of the grandfather of the uncle of the brother of the neighbor of the father's son. Like, I want to hear all about that. Yeah, no. Who, I'm... who was that? Who was Steve next door? Like, <laughs> tell me all about it. Right, and that's the thing. And that's what the Silmarillion is, is this this real kind of deep history. And, of course, yeah. as far as the histories of Middle-earth, that's three volumes, which the Silmarillion makes up a little part of. Uh, I mean... That's what I'm saying. I mean, the the history of Middle Earth, there is so much material. I mean, you can dig into that. I don't even know how long it would take to sit down and and study it all. Uh, but that the creation story in the Silmarillion is, is fantastic. And I mean, honestly, there's a reason that you know that used to be one of the favorite. You know, the Silmarillion was kind of one of the favorite tools of adventure gamers like you know D D. yeah um Which brings up another point we would not have my favorite pastime D D, without tolkien no you really wouldn't no way at all um at least as we know it we wouldn't have elves and dwarves and everything as we know them Mm-mm. uh certainly not halflings and there's a lot of different interpretations of elves and dwarves, and I think that that's really cool. In the Elder Scrolls games, dwarves are just another race of elves. They don't look anything like Tolkien dwarves or whatever, and I think that's cool. But that still would – even that would not exist mm-hmm. without this first like baseline. And I'm sure some of these ideas, a lot of these ideas came from things before Tolkien. I but mean, elves – Elves, as his, as Tolkien wrote them, yeah, or, he created or, them. Yeah, that's in fact his his publisher, uh, his editor rather. He got really irritated it. at his editor because he kept changing elves, e l f s, elves. He was like, "No, these are not Santa's elves. These are right. elves. elves. You know, so these I mean, are different. elves as we know them in most fantasy literature today are a Tolkien product. Yeah, no." Yeah. Elves in, uh, or elves rather, um, kind of in your more English and Welsh mythology are kind of like imps. You know, they're these mm-hmm. kind of sprightly leprechaun y, um, playing, you know, mean tricks on people kind of creatures. Completely yeah. different. And so it's interesting to see how he created this world because, first and foremost, he is a historian and a linguist. And so a lot of this came from his studies of ancient languages and his study of ancient cultures and his weaving in of characters that were, you know, weaving in Norse history and Old English history and Celtic history and and all of these ideas that he just weaves all through there, all with a thread of his Catholic faith running through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And it's, like I said, I can't wait. Um, and I know that for, for a lot of our listeners, for a lot of you out there, we're only going to do one like deep lore episode because for a lot of people, that's really not what they're into. But if we're going to talk Tolkien, at some point we have to talk about that stuff. And mm-hmm. because that is, if you're not aware, Tolkien, the reason there's not a lot of Tolkien books out there is because, well, first and foremost, again, he was a professor. That was his job. Mm-hmm. He and his these, calling. He wrote these stories for his son, Christopher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's and so for him, he was way more interested in spending countless hours creating the backstory for everything that he had already written mm-hmm. instead of churning out new books. Yes, he was not a publisher's best friend. And so it's it's very interesting to see because it's a very different it's a very different approach to writing professionally. Mm-hmm. And but because it was just of it, incidental. His writing was just incidental. It's just like this thing that he did sometimes. Right. So, but yeah, I'll be very curious to see what you think about some of the Silmarillion stuff as you get through it because mm-hmm. it it is tough. It's deep. It's there's a it's complicated. Um, I'm still I need to get back on it. I'm working on some stuff that I'm going to put out at some point during our Tolkien month, 
where I've been doing graphics that basically like a single poster size graphic that breaks down the entire the the order of the creation story in the Silmarillion. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um I've already I, I don't even know how many hours into it I already am. A lot. But it is a lot. That's cool. Like you probably got like twenty hours in it, all told. Probably. So, um, Marisha, what are what are some of your thoughts? I mean, you've read a lot more Tolkien stuff. I mean, David is David started with the movies, right? And has worked is now working back into the books. You started off with the books, correct? Or did you, you know? Not? I think that I may have started Fellowship of the Ring. Before the movies came out, the first time I remember hearing about Lord of the Rings was I was at Blockbuster Video, and I don't remember what we were checking out, but it, it must have been something fantasy, um, because the guy was like, oh, it may have been Star Wars, it may have been a Star Wars movie, um, and, and the guy was like, oh, you know what I'm really excited about is Lord of the Rings, that is going to be awesome and i was like okay um and so Mm -hmm. i just kind of mentioned it in passing to you know one of one of my friends i was like hey um do you want to know about lord of the rings and of course you know nerds nerds gonna nerd and so he um expounded its great length about how great lord of the rings was i was like well i guess i should read this um and so i started fellowship of the ring a little right a little bit before the movie came out and then, of course, the movies came out, and um, I must have been, what, 16 or so when they came out, and it was just the most amazing thing ever. And then, of course, I, I you know, read the, the rest of the books in the course of the next week or so, uh, and the Silmarillion and, you know, all of that good stuff. And so I was officially hooked um, from there out, but I, I read the books and saw the movies right about the same time. Um, so I, I had read all the books by the time the two towers came out. Um, so it wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't really an avid Tolkien fan before that. Okay. I kind of discovered it, you know, right around the same time. It wasn't my mom's sort of, uh, my mom's sort of literature necessarily. (laughs) Right. Well, it was one of those things for me. Fortunately, it was either my father's or my, I don't think it was really my dad's. I, I, when I was probably eight or nine, I got a whole bunch of my dad's and my uncle's old books. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where I was first introduced to The Hobbit, and Lord of the Rings, The Chronicles of Narnia, mm-hmm. all the Douglas Adams books. So oh, Hitch- right. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and all that stuff. Yeah. And, you know, so, you know, basically I was reading the previous generation's Great book sci-fi. collection, yeah. and you know, and I, and I was just hooked from the beginning. And I, I'm one of those people that's some people like to read a book and then move on, or watch a movie and move on. No, and I love the Lord, like David was saying. Like I want to know about all these people. Yeah, I'm an obsessor. I was oh my poor sister, because of course after I read the Silmarillion. Then I had to explain to her how all these people are related and where they come from and all the history, like, bless her. She knows more about the history of all kinds of obscure things because I was such a nerd. (laughs) That's great. Um, Including the history of Middle Earth, yeah. Well, that's the most important history. Yes, definitely, definitely. Um, But... The movies, you know, it's one of those things that the books were such a big deal when they came out, you know, especially the hippies really latched on to them uh, specifically. And the movies were one of those things that I think really spurred another generation to really discover Middle Earth. Um, And honestly, I feel like that's what movie adaptions are supposed to do like you know they should be works of art in their in their own right which i feel like the the lord of the rings movies really are but 
I feel like the very best book adaptions just really reignite the the love for the books. You know, introduce a new generation to to all the the greatness that is the book, you know, the original the original story. So yeah, I was I was one of those that got kind of Yeah. I mean, you're talking books that when they first came out in paperback, they were so in demand that it totally changed the way that books were sold. Hmm. Really? Like, yeah, I mean, you're you're talking about a book that you know, it had its first run, it was pretty popular, but by the time it really had its second run, when those paperbacks came out, like the companies had to completely reconsider how they got paperbacks out because the the numbers of them that were selling. Well, and there was also a huge apparently they didn't originally come out in the state, so there was a huge bootleg market. Yeah. So that was in fact if you read the like original paperback, the the preface or the forward to the original US paperback, it was like, please buy this one because I get royalties off of it, unlike all the bootleg copies. <laughs> right. So yeah, it's it's just such an unexpected phenomenon. I mean, a literature <laughs> like professor. An unexpected journey. Yes. It, yeah, kind of like that. I didn't even mean it that way. See, I made a <laughs> pun and I wasn't even trying. Um, but Tolkien and Lewis, you know, we kind of have this idea that, you know, of professors kind of living up in their kind of academia and never intersecting with actual real literature. You know, they just obsess over the writings of dead authors. Um, but, man, if anybody ever challenged that stereotype, I mean, they were the the epitome of the English professor, but Tolkien and Lewis together just completely changed the face of fantasy. Yeah. And, and well, and Lewis changed the face of a lot of other kinds of writing, too. Well, yeah, I mean, Lewis, you know, he has his f fiction writings, but he also has, he's yeah. also one of the most prolific theologians of a generation. So, yeah. Yeah, while, while Tolkien may be the uh, the quintessential fantasy writer, I feel like Lewis may just kind of take that mantle just as a writer in general. A much larger body of work. Yeah. Lots of different genres. Um, although at some point when I was in college, I actually, when I took a, a British literature class, which I would recommend anybody who has to take literature classes in college, definitely go for Brit Lit. It's so much better than American Lit, y'all. Anyway, um, the my favorite um, translation for Beowulf was done by Tolkien, the one that was actually um, – I had an old copy of the textbook that I got on eBay because I was being cheap. But this one had Sir Gawain and the Green Knight also translated by Tolkien. And there's just something to be said about translations written by a legitimate poet – who also speaks the dead language. There's nothing like it. So if you if you ever have to read any Old English uh, poetry, see if you can find Tolkien uh, translations, because yeah. they're really quite excellent. Right. But yeah, I mean, the Tolkien stuff is important for a lot of reasons, but it, it really, what I was saying before about the way it changed the way books were, it really ushered in the era of the, the mass market paperback. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's super lots interesting. Of I didn't know about that. Now, to liven this conversation up a little bit and to kind of take us a little off topic, but not really, we're going to talk about the movies for a minute. Marisha was reading, scrolling through Twitter as we were setting up here, and there was someone that had basically asked, if Peter Jackson had not directed Lord of the Rings, who would you have chosen? Ah. Uh. Now, of Spielberg? course, of course, one of the first answers was Zack Snyder. And so <laughs> I, I, before we all give our opinions on who we thought should have directed it, you would have directed it other than Peter Jackson. I wanted to hear David's thoughts on Zack Snyder directing The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I mean, like Legolas has an Uzi and 
Yeah, no, of course. Uh, Frodo, Sam, Sam loves shooting people in the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, punch them, kick them, shoot them in the face. Yeah. <laughs> Potatoes. Um, so, yeah, so any fan of the of the show would know that I'm just not a huge Zack Snyder fan. I don't like his interpretation of of uh, the DC characters. And um, we recently reviewed the Snyder Cut uh, on our YouTube channel. Check that out at the, the Science Fiction area on YouTube. Um, so here's the thing. Zack Snyder, Lord of the Rings. It would have looked really epic. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. It would have looked dope. Um, but Zack Snyder likes to make Zack Snyder movies. Yes, it would have been very, very uh, dull-tinted. Uh, probably would have used some licensed music in there. Um, we would have, like, you know, uh, you know that King song that played uh, during the Aquaman jumping into the waves in the Snyder Cut? Yeah. We'd have that over every single shot of... Um, Aragorn. Aragorn, yeah, yeah, every single shot. Something about King about kings uh hallelujah that'd be a big one in there um i don't know we'd probably get like uh sauron up on a cross with a crown of thorns or something um (laughs) no but okay so in all seriousness it would have looked really cool um i don't think it would be as well remembered as we remember it now because Mm -hmm. yes we would look back and say those those effects were really cool and this looks like really epic and there's a lot of epic battles but the reason that these stories and that those movies are still relevant is because of the characters and their journeys Mm -hmm. and the heart of the story um the love shared between the characters the building of the friendship uh good the good versus evil um those ideas that are relevant now were relevant then and i think will be relevant forever mm-hmm. yeah and i just don't think that um zach snyder would necessarily capture those feelings mm-hmm. um, right and, and, and honestly it's one of those things you know when peter jackson made it made this amazing epic movie or series of movies most people couldn't have told you who Peter Jackson was prior to making those movies. Nope. No, he was a small-time director, wasn't he? Well, he did, like, you know, horror films and, yeah, low-budget stuff. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, no, nobody knew, or, or at least your, your general casual movie-going fan had no idea who Peter Jackson was. How on earth did he get that gig? Yeah. Like, did they decide that they were going to make Lord of the Rings and then went down and tracked him down, or did he actually pitch it? I don't know. And if he if he pitched it, how on earth did they can he convince New Line Cinema to let him <laughs> make one of the most valuable intellectual properties into a movie? Yeah, I mean that's the the thing is is I think that he had a history of making while smaller movies successful movies yeah um and i don't know what his connection i mean part of it he had some connection with with Weta. okay yeah who did all the props mm-hmm. so i don't know if Weta, that, who gets probably half the credit for just how good the movie looks I, absolutely those scale models of the cities mm-hmm. and i mean that stuff is all just absolutely amazing yeah, but, and it looks good now, and it will look good forever. You know why? Because yeah. it's actually a physical thing yeah. that was there. Yeah, and even the stuff that's CG, and it has held up extraordinarily well. I mean, yeah. the thing is, if you can look back at a movie with that much digital artwork 20 years later, and it still holds up, I mean, you couldn't ask for more. No. So, so who do you, who do you think, David? Like, can you, I mean, I have a lot of trouble with this. Like, I'm really not sure. The first thing that came to mind was Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's a pretty easy, basic answer there. Yeah. It's like, 
oh, you're making a movie that's like mm-hmm. an epic adventure. I and guess the, it's Spielberg. And Spielberg's another one of those, though, to me. Like, Spielberg likes to take a property and put his own stamp on it. I feel like Ron yeah, Howard. I think it would have been good, and I think, but I don't think it'd be anywhere near. Mm-hmm. I think other than a got. few things that were changed around a little bit that, that either were left out or were added or were completely changed the way it, it went down in the movie. Like Tom having Bombadil. the elves show up at mm-hmm. uh, Helm's Deep. Yeah. Like, you know. Not make, having Tom Bombadil. Right. But those decisions... Or one thing, but I feel like Peter Jackson made a movie that uh, that was incredibly loyal to the source material. Mm -hmm. And I feel like he made some changes in places because sometimes books don't flow directly to Mm -hmm. screen. Yeah, it's true. So what do you think about my pitch? I'm pitching Ron Howard. Ron Howard would be a really interesting one. Because Ron and, Howard... And I, and I love Steven Spielberg, but like, you know, like, like look at uh, what was the last really big one he did. Um, Ready Player One. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where, I mean, by all accounts, I mean, I think people generally liked it, but it was very different from the books from everything I understood. Mm-hmm. But I feel like Ron Howard is one who doesn't necessarily he's a little more of a chameleon he's there to tell the story he's not there to be but he also a visible director he's also a man that has a love for history yeah well and he's done i mean ron howard made titanic you know he's a a director who can tell you know an existing story uh very well and some people you know like we were talking earlier, some people... James Cameron made Titanic. James Cameron, you're right. What did Ron, what, what am I, was I thinking Ron Howard made around the same he time? He made, made Apollo 13. Uh, okay, not Titanic. <laughs> okay, well, this is the part where we all look less smart than we could. But the, no, well, it happens, man. You know, actually, what, what what kind of made me think that was how he came in um, to Solo and really managed to not do a pull a Joss Whedon and make the movie completely disjointed and where you could clearly see who shot which scenes. He just came in and he just made this flow so well. He wasn't interested in making it a Ron Howard movie necessarily. He was just there to make the movie great. Right, and as that's the as thing with be. Ron Howard in his historical fiction. He's been very loyal to mm-hmm. to the real stories. And so, yeah, I mean, he may be one that could have that same loyalty to the source material yeah. of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, my first thought is it's kind of in line with where Peter Jackson came from and the person that was supposed to make the Hobbit movies in Guillermo del Toro. Mm-hmm. Why? I think that that would have been really, really interesting and really cool. Um, still, none of these pitches make me like really want to see right. this more no, than mm-hmm. I, than Peter Jackson. No, but. because it's the thing is like I don't see. I don't think anybody could have done it better. Who like, could nobody, have approached as good? Nobody. I mean, there are movies out there that are relatively recent. I I still think that it won't be all that long before people will be calling for a reboot of Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to have anybody for a very long time, if ever, clamoring for a remake of Lord of the Rings. No, because you, you can't do it better. There's no doing it better. No, I think, I really do feel they're timeless. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to sure be, they'll get remade eventually. They, they may. And, and, you know, if they think they can make enough money on it, they will. But they're going to, you know, that's... That's the other problem of remaking them ever is they will always be compared to the Peter Jackson versions. It was like, and, ooh, let's remake Ben-Hur. <laughs> right. Okay, and, and they, they made a big point. They're like, we're not remaking the 50s movie. We're making another adaption of the book. It was actually quite a good movie. But, you're but did anybody go see it? No, because all anybody wants to see when they see Ben-Hur is... Charlton Heston, 
in a movie that is not very much like the book, if anyone's keeping track. But that's the problem. But it's so iconic. You know, like Footloose. Let's remake Footloose. Why? So everybody can talk about how much better the last one was? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there are certain things that make you not want to remake a movie. And, and one is just films that are... You know, things like Lord of the Rings or things like Back to the Future. That's exactly, yeah. They perfectly, like, capture that moment in time. And and it, it just, for whatever reason, or, or because it's because of this actor, like, I mean, how would you like to have to go back, to go back and try to remake a movie? Let's just say um, Good Morning Vietnam. Hmm. How would you like to try to remake that movie? Right. You could probably make an overall better movie, but it's not going to have Robin Williams in it. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, it, yeah. and they had just... an entire cast of those actors. Right. I mean, they could not have cast Lord of the Rings any better. The only thing, but the and that's one of the things we're definitely going to talk about is mm-hmm. almost nobody was the first choice for the character they ended up playing. How crazy is that? In fact, they even like after shooting started ditched their Aragorn and went and hired uh, Viggo Mortensen. Yep. Who was the original Aragorn? Oh, I, I don't even remember who it was. It was Irish we'll have actor. to pull that up for the, uh, when we get more into yeah. that part of the, uh, you know, a, a more detailed episode on the movies. But yeah, That's I mean, like, I mean, he, and he approached like two or three other people. I mean, he even approached, didn't he approach Nick Cage at some point yes. about Aragorn? Oh gosh. Yes. I feel like I read that, um, who played, who was the main, Russell Crowe. I feel like I read one time that Russell Crowe was approached uh, oh, wow. for a role in Lord of the Rings. It was yeah. either Aragorn or it was Boromir. Almost, I mean, and I'm serious, almost no major characters were played by the person originally, that they originally pursued well, to play the role. Here's the Because thing. they were going to be record, they were going to be, they were going to New Zealand. That's exactly And it. they were going to be filming for like, I don't even remember how many months. Because 18 they, months? 18, something like 18 months, because they were yeah. filming all three back to back. Yep. And, nobody wanted and to no, do it. Yeah, nobody wanted to commit to that amount of time. To not just that amount of time of filming, mm. but that amount of time of going to a foreign country right. and living there for that period of time. Right. But, you know, I feel like the thing is, all the superstars they approached were like, I'm too big to do that. Right. And so they wound up well, getting you had their a, you had B-list this big actors. property, but you kind of had an a relatively unknown commodity directing it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those big names were just like, no, nah, I don't think that's just not for me. And other than, you know, the only really big names who signed on were 80 years old. <laughs> right. I mean, now Ian McKellen <laughs> yeah. and Christopher Lee were some of the biggest things in Hollywood in the sixties. <laughs> They were also around, they were also young when these books were, when those books were incredibly popular. Uh, Well, Christopher Lee actually met Tolkien. I don't know how he managed it, but he sure enough did. He was the only cast member who'd actually met Tolkien. That's super cool. Didn't Christopher Lee uh, originally uh, audition for Gandalf? Like he wanted to be Gandalf. Yes. I believe that's correct. Yeah, that seems. But right. they were like, "Dude, you're just you're Dracula. You're too evil. Like you gotta <laughs> be the evil one." Yeah, he plays a he plays such a good villain. Oh, he was so great. Um, but yeah, he and that the thing is, they had. I mean, now some of the actor like uh, I Elijah Wood had never at, read the books at all. Um, whenever they whenever they made the movies, but they had a lot of people who were devoted Tolkien fans for decades. Um, and so who really were invested in the story, were invested in making it the very best that they could. Mm-hmm. And I mean, could you possibly have had a better Gandalf than Ian McKellen? I submit to you that you could not. It's, I mean, it's that's like the Snape. thing. It's and, like, you look at it, you look at the way, I mean, you look at some of the people they wanted for characters and you go, oh, I'm so glad they didn't get that person mm-hmm. like Nick Cage playing Aragorn. That would have just been mm. a totally different thing. 
Oh, and he may or may not have yeah. pulled it off, off, or he might have just been really weird. I mean, you just <laughs> you don't know with him. Yeah. And yeah. But it would have been a very different character, regardless. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's like everything went right. It's mm-hmm. it's they captured lightning in a bottle. You you've got a director that is sort of unknown. You've got a lot of actors that. You know, some relatively unknown actors in important places mm-hmm. because they couldn't get the guys they wanted. I mean, Elijah Wood. You've got Elijah Wood. He was a big name, but it kind of... When he was 10. Right, but had kind of fallen out of uh-huh. the limelight. And Same. Sean, Sean Astin, who'd just kind of been around forever, but never really... I mean, after Rudy, he didn't really do anything against right. I mean, the Right, he did Goonies and Rudy, and then, like, what it... You know, he was in stuff, but he was never... Yeah. Like... He wasn't a household name until Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Yeah, people knew those movies, but I don't, you know, you you didn't hear a lot of people, like, calling for Sean Astin to be in the next, you know, big movie. And uh, Dude, I have not thought about Rudy for so long (laughs) until just now. Now (laughs) I want to go watch Rudy. (laughs) Yeah. But... You know, I can't wait to dig more into this and and, and get some other. We're gonna have, some, uh, like I said, we're gonna have some great guests on and and dig more into a lot of these things. And dude, I got questions I want to ask. Like, who would y'all recast if you are making it today? And like, um, who's your favorite character? Like all these. Like, oh, I have so many things I want to ask, but we, I just gotta gotta save it. <laughs> you gotta make a list. Later. Put it I, I on the Google Doc. I think it's both interesting. I think actually it would be really funny, and I'm gonna cut this out. This is totally unrelated to what we're discussing. Yeah. But I still think that it would be really fun to go back one night, and of course we'd have to make sure your dad was on for this, uh, is to do Marvel. Just like, say, Marvel Phase 1. Yeah. But we're gonna recast it. It's 1990, and we're casting... Phase one of Marvel. That's awesome. All right. Uh, 1990. Uh, when did Mission Impossible come out? Who first one was... Yeah, 1992 or so. Somewhere right in there. But, I mean, Tom Cruise was already a household name. All right. Yeah. Tom Cruise is Tony Stark. Tom, that's absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, there's nobody else. I mean... No. I could see a Johnny Depp Tony Stark. There was actually... This is that, on top... Yeah. Hmm. He would be um, strange, Doctor Strange. So, but that's not oh, phase one. But Johnny Depp, like 1990s Johnny Depp as Doctor Strange, could be a hell of a lot of fun. That'd be mm-hmm. great. Um, so, in the Ultimate Comic Book Universe, in the Ultimates, that's where actually like Black Nick Fury comes from. Right. Uh, he was straight up, like unapologetically, the artist has said, "Yep, I drew Sam Jackson." Um, <laughs> and so, and, and that was a joke. Like that was a joke in the in the comic books. Was everyone was like, "You look just like Sam Jackson," and there was the scene where they were like hanging out or whatever. All the Avengers who were called the Ultimates in this one, and they were like, "All right, let's cast the Ultimates movie, with the Avengers movie. Who plays who?" Oh, that's great. And Nick Fury starts going, and he actually says, "He goes, Tony Stark, Johnny Depp." Um. And then uh, now, I'm for, of course, I'm forgetting the other ones. But he actually did name like the the author at that time, like Johnny Depp. That's that, that's where the idea comes okay, from yeah. in my head as Johnny Depp as Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. And then somebody says, "Well, who would play you, Nick?" And Nick goes, "Well, who else but Sam Jackson?" Like, <laughs> unapologetically, was that? That's, that's so great. Funny. Did you know the first time? Uh, uh, that Patrick Stewart was ever approached to play Professor Xavier. He was on set. He was filming one of the Star Trek movies and he was on set and someone came up to him and was like, you know, people are like fan casting you. A lot of people are saying they want you to play this comic book character called Professor Xavier. And he was like, who's that? I've never heard of that. And so the guy brought Patrick Stewart a comic book and Patrick Stewart looked at it and he said, what am I doing in a comic book? <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's great. <laughs> anyway. And the rest is history. All right. But try to try to transition back over to talking here. But <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean I'm I'm looking really forward to to all the discussions we're gonna have. Mm-hmm. Going all the forward. fan casting and all the uh, I mean we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna talk it all up. We're gonna do fan casting. We might do modern fan casting and 
if it had been made 15 years earlier, fan casting. Mm-hmm. And Michael Sarah for Boromir. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Sarah would have had to have been like Mary or Pippin, though, right? Yeah. Mary or Pippin, or, you know, I was thinking modern fan casting. You know who I think would be a really good Sam? Tom Holland. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah, Tom Holland would would have been great. The thing is, anyway. though, Tom Holland. You, Tom Holland would probably make a great Frodo. I mean, if we're being honest, or a great Mary, or a great Pippin. Yeah, yeah I mean, he just kind of looked like a Hobbit, right? Yeah. The thing is, though, for fan casting, like Elijah Wood is now almost the age that Bilbo or that uh, Frodo is in the books. So, if we're doing modern fan casting, can we cast anyone <laughs> except Elijah Wood as Elijah Wood. Frodo? <laughs> Let's cast. Let's cast Daniel Radcliffe as Frodo. Since yes, get that confused. That's all true. The time anyway. Yeah, that would be pretty great. Uh, but I'm I'm looking forward to all the conversations. I'm looking forward to all the guests coming on, and uh, I'm also looking forward to putting y'all through the ringer on trivia. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so excited! So excited! It's gonna be great. Right. But um, unless y'all have anything else y'all want to touch on tonight, the the idea tonight was just to kind of. Just kind of kick off our Tolkien month, and uh, next week we'll be diving into probably just the Lord of the Rings films. A deep dive into casting and scoring and and all of that stuff. And, all that good uh, stuff. And at some point, we'll probably talk about just the movies and books together and why they last. Like, what is it about this story mm-hmm. that makes them... Yeah, this story specifically that just makes them remain relevant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm looking really forward to getting and getting into all of that stuff. But um, I think we're going to call that an episode, and we will see you back real soon. But until next time, Marisha, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at princesses underscore and underscore padawans, and I am p padawans on Twitter. All right, and David. You guys can find me on Twitter at David underscore JG Peoples. All right, and I'm Andrew Gore. You can find me running the Twitter account for this show at Sci underscore Fictionary. You can drop us a line at the Science Fictionary at gmail.com. And as always, please check out our podcast as well as the rest of the Red 5 podcast family at Red5Network.com or at Red5Network on Twitter. And until next time, remember... Not all who wander are lost.